Los Angeles Times reporter Sonia Nazario wrote a book some years back titled Enrique's Journey. The story told in the book began one day when Nazario noticed that her Guatemalan housekeeper seemed sad. She asked what was wrong and then heard a story that alerted her to a situation she never knew existed. The housekeeper's son, like untold thousands of youth from Central America, was trying to get to America to be reunited with his mother. She had come to this country to send back money for her family, but now her son was undertaking a dangerous journey, riding on top of train boxcars to get to the United States. She was worried about her son and had no idea where he was. But once Nazario heard about this, she began to investigate the situation, traveling to Central America to reveal the fact that indeed thousands of children were facing horrible dangers on thousand-mile journeys that stemmed from economic injustice in our world. Sometimes. We cannot learn about injustice until we take a good look around us. Today on Groundwork, we will continue our conversation on the theme of justice, and we have a special guest to help us do just that. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Dave Bast. And I'm Scott Jose. And Dave, this is now the third of four programs on Groundwork where we're thinking about the biblical theme uh, of justice. And so in the first program, we looked at the link between justice and God's righteousness. In the second program, we explored the pursuit of justice and how sometimes the lack of justice leads us to lament. And we also thought about Sabbath keeping uh, as, as a way to restore some justice to our world. Right. The whole series really spun out of a book that, Scott, you and I both read, mm-hmm. a book published in 2016 called The Justice Calling, Where Passion Meets Perseverance. And the book's co-authors are Bethany Hanke Huang and Kristen Dede Johnson. And it just so happens that Kristen Johnson is a good friend and associate professor of theology and Christian formation at Western Seminary in Holland, Michigan. And we have her with us today and in the next program. So, Kristen, welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here today. Good to have you with us. So what we want to talk about uh, in this first part of the program, Kristen, now that we have you here, we've been thinking about the book. Maybe just talk about how you and Bethany, your co-author, kind of what led to writing this book. And particularly, since we like to dig into scripture here on Groundwork, maybe what were some of the key texts, Bible texts, that you and Bethany went to or launched off of to get into this project? For me, the book goes back to right after I'd graduated from college. I had had the opportunity to spend about four weeks in London with John Stott and one of his Uh, organizations. It was a program trying to bring people about my age from all over the country together to grapple with scripture and to connect that to the world. And that was really the first time I was given tools to study scripture. So I went back and I'd always, since I became a Christian, had read devotionally every day, but I hadn't really done that with any guides. So Mm -hmm. I was reading Isaiah, and I was using uh, a book from John Stott's series, The Bible Speaks Today, Mm -hmm. and it brought the whole book to life for me. And what I noticed early on, right in chapter one, themes of justice and righteousness are all over the text. So for example, we start at uh, verse 11, the multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings. Skip ahead. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. 
there are passages like that all over right. Isaiah. And I think we looked at the connection between worship without justice and, and how God reacts to that. And Isaiah is another great Isaiah mm-hmm. one, another classic uh, example. And it's really social justice that's in the picture here, not mm. just personal wrongdoing mm-hmm. or individual sin. Well, and in that passage that you just read, Kristen, as well, you have that mention, you know, that it comes up all over the place in the Old Testament, though it's reflected in the New Testament, sort of the widow, the orphan, and the alien, or the stranger within your gates, the foreigner, that Israel was supposed to make extra provision for those vulnerable groups. Mm-hmm. And what I couldn't figure out when I was reading it is why had I not heard about this before? I had been mm. very active in church and youth group and college ministry. And I couldn't recall a single teaching or sermon related to justice that had never been presented as something that was close to the heart of God. And in Isaiah, you get this sense, this isn't just something we're supposed to do. This is part of God's character, Mm. and therefore is supposed to be something God's people care about. And the depth of that connection was something I was interested in exploring. I I mean, it's kind of frightening in a way, because it's often (laughs) sins of omission. Mm that put blood on our hands, according to Isaiah, not just sins of commission. It's not just going out and killing somebody, but it's failing to act on behalf of the person who's destitute or defenseless or helpless. And God says, you got blood on your hands. And we say, what? (laughs) Me? I didn't do anything. Uh, But it's it's failure to do something. And it's interesting, and I'm assuming this is true of of Bethany, your co-author as well. Uh, You mentioned, you know, you're reading that and then saying, how come I never heard this before? And it is one of those things. I remember years ago doing a a series on the value of the physical creation to God. Mm. And I had never heard sermons about ecology or the value of creation and God's delight in creation. But it's sort of one of those things that once you realize this is a big biblical theme, you see it everywhere. And that's, I think, what you're saying, what happened with justice. Once once you kind of go at the Bible with that lens, uh, all of a sudden you say, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, How did I miss it? In fact, when we started the original idea for this book, we thought we'd have one chapter on scripture and justice. And as we started writing, we thought, there's too much here. We can't limit it to one chapter. It became the framework for the whole book. Right. I think what was interesting to me was, you know, my experience post-college, never having heard about justice, my eyes opened to how much it was in scripture. Then fast forward, about 12 years, I'm working at Hope College, and every student I'm meeting with is passionate about justice, Mm -hmm. and they want to move to Africa and help with AIDS and clean water, and it was beautiful, but the contrast was so severe, and I was interested in sort of exploring what happened in between, and also didn't always sense that these students could connect that passion to scripture and to their life in Christ. They were Christians. They had a sense this mattered, but the digging deep, the deep roots Mm -hmm. weren't there. And then meanwhile, Bethany, who had married a friend of mine from college, worked for International Justice Mission. She was noticing the same thing, and she wrote a little piece about the justice generation. Mm -hmm. And one of the images she uses is, when you first discover justice in scripture and injustice in the world, your passion can be like a firework. You're ignited to care, but fireworks fizzle and fade out. And what does it look like to really equip people for the long haul? Hmm. So that's really what we came together to try to do, to explore in scripture within the heart of God, why does justice matter? 
And what does that mean for us? So sometimes we think about what we've done is looking at who questions and why questions. Who is God? Mm -hmm. And therefore, who are we called to be as God's people who live according to God's will and ways? And why are we to seek the things of God in this world? Right. So in a sense, there's a lot of fermentation in our culture today, especially among young people. And a lot of it centers on ideas of injustice and unfairness and the need for change. But if that's all it is, as you say, it it can tend to fizzle out. It just becomes another internet fad Mm -hmm. or uh, another thing they tweet one another about. Uh, So young people, including young Christians, as you saw them, were becoming passionate about injustice, but they were getting it maybe more from the culture than from the Bible, mm-hmm. and, and part of your goal is to change that in order that it will be a, a more long-lived, deep, mm-hmm. deeply rooted, life-changing kind of discipleship thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting. Historically, there's a curious flip here, because in the Reformed tradition, uh, there was great suspicion toward justice movements, social gospel. Early in the 20th century, a lot of Reformed people said, we're not going to do those social gospel programs. We're going to focus on scripture and be orthodox. And then there's this interesting flip. And so, yeah, my kids are 20 and 24 years old, and they are part of that generation that just sees advocating for the the vulnerable is a natural thing to do as a follower of Jesus. But right, uh, the attachment to scripture um, isn't always always there. So I think uh, Euron Bethany's book really helps to show where this comes from in the character of God, and then of, as God is, of course, incarnated in, in Jesus Christ. You mentioned that you met Bethany uh, through her husband, who was a friend. How, how did the idea for the book actually come to be, and how did you agree to write it together? Mm-hmm. Well, I actually had already started working on it and had the idea both, as I mentioned before, to look at why did this shift happen, that people today are more passionate about justice than in your day or my day, And then also to really look at scripture and the heart of God. And once I read this little piece Bethany had written and we would interact every once in a while um, at weddings or different events, we'd see each other. I thought this would be much richer together. Mm. She has work in the field with International Justice Mission. She's given her life to this. She can really help me think through what does this look like on the ground? And one of her roles with International Justice Mission was to create biblical teachings Mm -hmm. for their interns and others to be able to do just what we're talking about, connect this passion to scripture. So she really wanted the opportunity to dive deeper and look more fully at what the biblical text had to offer. Wonderful. And the collaboration was born and it has now borne fruit. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, there's one chapter uh, that we want to talk about in particular as we focus on the idea of our life as Christians. It's called Live as Saints, Not as Heroes. And we're going to explore that further in just a moment. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. 
MeetReframeMedia.com, a web resource to help you in your Christian life. I want my children to be entertained, but also grow in their Christian faith. It's time for Kids Corner. Where can I get a daily spiritual shot in the arm? This is Today, a daily devotional to refresh, refocus, renew. And there's more. Think Christian, Church Juice, Family Fire, resources for every age to help you grow and build your faith. Explore and visit ReframeMedia.com today. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Dave Bast, and we're joined today by Kristen Deedee Johnson, Professor of Theology and Christian Formation at Western Seminary in Holland, Michigan, and for our purposes, uh, more significantly, the co-author of The Justice Calling. Uh, So once again, Kristen, thank you for joining us. Mm -hmm. Very glad to be here. And one of the things that we want to look at in this program is what in the book is your fifth chapter, actually. It's Live as Saints, Not Heroes. Talk a little bit about that chapter and then maybe where it came from. And ultimately, where we're going to go uh, in, in this program is to explore a little bit uh, a central trio of images for Jesus uh, and our imitation of that. But maybe just summarize a little bit what's in this chapter, and then we'll kind of dig into some of those specific titles for Christ. This is one of my favorite chapters. I think a lot of us who are drawn to justice have this hero sensibility about us, especially in the Western context. We've been shaped by these superhero stories. We're going to save the day. We're going to rescue the victims. And that can seem like a really motivating way to begin. But if you really look closely at the role of the hero, there's a lot of weight on the shoulder of that hero. If they're not in precisely the right place at the right time, they can't make the rescue. Often they act alone. More recently, I think some superheroes come together. But one of the things we're trying to say is, this is not all on our shoulders. In fact, if we bear the weight of the justice calling on our shoulders, we will not make it very far. The weight is too much and the burdens are too big. We have to come together rooted in Christ as the people of God. And saints, is not language I think we resonate with. We tend to think of that as sort of the holier than thou or very pious. But actually, according to scripture, that is our identity. It's a translation of we are God's holy and beloved people. Mm -hmm. So I think the hero ethic sometimes comes with a sense of we have to do it all and we have to prove it all. And we're trying to say, actually, this is a gift that we get to join in with God who has already done the most important work of saving the world in Christ and who continues to be active in the world through Christ and the Spirit. So we come together together, not on our own. Mm -hmm. We come together in and through Christ, and we do this out of who we are in gratitude for all we've been given, for the saving love we've received. We give back, and we join in with God's vision in this world. And in the chapter, there's this set of terms that has long been associated with Jesus. Jesus as prophet, priest, and king, key offices in the Old Testament. And Jesus as the Messiah, we believe, uh, embodies all three within his very self. And one of the things in the Reformed tradition uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism, we are told that we share in those offices of prophet, priest, and king. And in the book, you and Bethany explore that triple identity of Jesus bearing within himself or fulfilling really in himself those three offices uh, has a lot to do with justice and therefore if we do what disciples are supposed to do which is imitate the master we will also live more just lives so starting with the idea of christ as priest 
our great high priest. In, in what way does that connect with justice and with us? Mm-hmm. I love the priesthood of Christ. I love all three offices. And one of the things that we started to think through as we were working on this chapter was that some of us tend to identify more with one office or the other. So maybe you're really focused on salvation and so you focus on the priesthood of Christ because that's really where his salvific role comes to full fruition and he died for us once for all, according to Hebrews. We have to hold that together with his other offices and all together we get this full picture of all that Christ accomplished and as you said, Scott, all that we then are called to do as God's people, but never losing sight that the most primary work is in Christ. Well, we want to dig into scriptures. So maybe uh, a passage from Hebrews, which is the great New Testament book on the priesthood of Christ. Here's Hebrews 7, 23 through 8, 2. Now there have been many of those priests, meaning human priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all. Hapax, that's a great Mm -hmm. New Testament term, when he offered himself. And the point is this, says Hebrews we do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up from the Lord. So talk us through that a little bit, that that wonderful passage from Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Such a rich passage. And related to the saints' heroes theme, the one of the big things we learn from this is we don't have to save the world. It's already been done in Christ. Right. Christ came to set all things right. And that in includes our relationship with God. So he is has made things right for us. And it also includes making things right in all the world. So every form of evil, everything turned away from God's good intention has been restored in Christ. So that work is not on our shoulders. Right. We can look to Christ who has done it. And the beautiful part at the very end of what you read, that he continues to serve in the sanctuary. So we're fundamentally rooted in Christ the Savior who has saved and even now as we go about our work, Jesus is still active. He is still serving. Interceding and for us. still interceding yeah. for us and still interceding for all the victims of injustice around the world. We're not the ones, the only ones who care about this. God fully entered into the brokenness and still continues to intercede and yeah. wants that redemption for right. all. And the priest, of course, even in the Old Testament, the priest was always sort of the yeah. intersection point between heaven and earth. The, the priest was the intersection point between God and humanity and wanted to bring them together through sacrifice and so forth. Jesus has done that. And of course, as you said, Kristen, if we want to be priests ourselves and bring them to the priesthood of Jesus, we can't just say, you know, God loves you if we don't do anything to show love themse- to them ourselves by alleviating their suffering. It's a little hard to make them believe that God loves them if we don't show them love by helping them uh, in their circumstances. So that's the priestly function of Christ. He's also a prophet. And the prophet, of course, is the one who uh, brings the word of God into our lives. So we can think about that image, too, for a moment. Mm -hmm. The prophet is 
such a significant reason why we look to the example of Christ. Prophets in the Old Testament, we know, represented God. They spoke the words of God to God's people. They taught. And Jesus was a teacher. The exact representation of God's being in Hebrews or the image of the invisible God. This is God in the flesh who most fully shows us who God is and most fully lived as God's child, the Son to the Father. So in all of Christ's prophetic role, we see what it looks like to live as children of God. And then specifically, if a priest is focused primarily Godward in his ministry on behalf of humanity, a prophet is focused primarily human word Mm -hmm. uh, coming from God to speak that word, of truth to power, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and and we see Jesus doing that as well. Mm-hmm. So if we look at Sermon on the Mount, a beautiful classic text, um, this is part of Jesus's teaching ministry to us, to his disciples, to humans. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Matthew 5, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It goes on and on. The beauty of Jesus' prophetic teachings is that they, again, don't just put put it all back on us. It's not just, here's how you should live, or I'm the perfect model for you to follow. It's, here's how you should live, and I've actually lived all of this on your behalf when I lived as a human in your place. I was the poor in spirit. Mm -hmm. I did mourn with those Mm -hmm. who needed mourning. I did hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we know you've talked on previous programs how justice and righteousness are in the Greek are from the same root. Mm -hmm. So you hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. I have food that you don't know about, he Mm -hmm. said to his disciples, (laughs) to do my Father's will. Mm -hmm. That's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. righteousness. And it's just, a. I mean, in those Beatitudes too. It's a way that when the word of God from the prophetic ministry of Jesus comes into your life, you look at the world through a different lens. And so in the Old Testament, and Jesus is an heir of this, of course, and indeed one of Jesus' great, 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 great grandmothers was the figure Ruth, Mm. who was a Moabite widow. So she was, you know, in two of the three vulnerable categories of widow, orphan, and foreigner, Ruth was looked at through a different lens by Boaz, and he saved her because the most vulnerable are the most important. Mm. And that's what the prophetic word brings to us. So we've got a couple of minutes left and we want to talk about Jesus' kingship too. Uh, He's in charge. He's the one who's ruling. And uh, that obviously says a lot about uh, the way the world ought to be ordered. Mm -hmm. All of the prophetic teachings point us towards God's kingdom. They are visions of the kingdom of God and Christ as king. Again, such an important and encouraging thing to know that Christ has been victorious and Christ reigns. We can see this in Ephesians really beautifully. Yeah, just briefly from Paul's soaring words from Ephesians 1, God raised Christ from the dead and Christ now is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. And so indeed, Jesus, now prophet, priest, and king, he rules. And in our previous, uh, we've talked before about the kingdom of God and where the kingdom exists. We that's where God's will is carried out. And God's will, again, is consistently revealed in scripture as being 
very concerned for the vulnerable, mm-hmm. the poor. And I love the present tense of those verbs, too. He rules. He continues to rule. So as we seek God's kingdom again, we're not on our own. We're not the heroes who all this is on our shoulders. We're operating within the kingdom of God, praying God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then trying to actively seek that, remembering that ultimately Christ has conquered every darkness, even though we don't see it yet. Yeah, we don't see it yet. But not only the present tense, but he's above all, and not just above all, far above. I like that little (laughs) addition too. There ain't nobody higher than he is. Mm -hmm. And someday the whole universe will see that truth revealed. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for joining our Groundwork Conversation. We're your hosts, uh, Scott Jose and Dave Bast, and we have a special guest today, Kristen D.D. Johnson. We always like to know how we can help you to dig into the scriptures, so we have a website, groundworkonline.com. Visit the website and suggest topics and passages for future Groundwork programs. Groundwork is a joint production by Reframe Media and Words of Hope. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris and our post-production supervisor is Mark Drunth. Our studio relations manager is Christy Prinz. Our content and managing producer is Courtney Jacob. And our executive producer is Stephen Coster.